I'm Will Sloan, as always, with me. Luke Savage. Hey, guys. Some of you younger listeners may not know this, but there was a time when Donald Trump was not a politician. He was, in fact, a billionaire real estate mogul and colorful media personality. Wow, I didn't know that. NBC Thursday on an all-new Apprentice. It's their biggest task yet, a star-studded charity auction. Hello, come on in. Each team must convince five celebrities to give till it hurts. I was a virgin on prom night with those kids. Plus, it's finally happened. There's romance in the house, and you'll never guess who. All leading to the most intense backstabbing yet. You were rude. You are rude. You're fired. An all-new Apprentice, NBC Thursday, after an all-new Friends. Go to NBC.com. Did you ever watch The Apprentice when it was on? You know, uh, this is the first time I've ever seen it. Really? Ever, yeah. Because the first season, it was it was a pretty big phenomenon. I remember my aunt watching it. She really took it seriously on its face. I remember her being like, oh, it's it's cool. It's this, you know, celebrity businessman, you know, Donald Trump. And he's really, you know, he's he's making them be entrepreneurs. And did you know who Donald Trump was at that point? We were both we would have been in like grade nine when it started. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like he's just been this kind of mm-hmm. window dressing. And actually, since um, his election, uh, I feel like I've noticed him as window dressing more and more, if that makes sense. So we were watching um like the bad lieutenant and remember and it right in the final dramatic scene he pulls up in front of a trump building yeah or now i'm acutely aware that from my own balcony i can see the trump tower i can just see the words trump illuminated at night he's everywhere i think i first heard of him actually when i was a kid and i saw home alone 2 and oh he, and he's in it he's the he gives macaulay culkin directions at the hotel that's right excuse me where's the lobby down the hall and to the left Thanks. And I remember my dad saying, oh, that's Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He's uh, kind of a famous businessman. Mm-hmm. And I remember also in the 90s, he did a, a bunch of commercials for this like special at Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. I think it was called The Big Mouth or mm-hmm. something like that. The, the idea being he's a, he's a New Yorker. He's got a big mouth. So here's this New Yorker style Big Mouth pizza. Wow. This I also remember him being in Mad Magazine a lot because... Like in the 90s, he was very famous for having a, a lot of bankruptcies. <laughs> and that, that's what Mad Magazine talked about a lot. But The Apprentice was definitely the one that, I mean, I don't even need to tell you this. No. It was the one that really launched him into the current sphere. So we decided to dip into The Apprentice a little bit. And mm. uh, we decided, because we didn't really want to watch it in its boring mm. uh, parts, we looked at the first season of The Celebrity Apprentice. Mm where some of the guests included Gene Simmons. He was probably the biggest star on the show. Mary Lou Henner, a young, fresh-faced Piers Morgan. Honestly, mostly people I'd never heard of, to be honest. Like, pretty B-stream. Well, according to the voiceover, they are some of the world's most successful Successful celebrities. Successful celebrities, yeah. Uh, uh, God, there was a Playboy centerfold, a couple of... Who's uh, the cowboy? Trace Adkins, who longtime listeners may remember from his role in An American Carol as the Angel of Death. Right. You you don't remember, do you? I don't remember, but obviously a part of Michael and us lore. (laughs) Yeah. Part of the wider Michael and us cosmos. So what what were your first impressions watching The Apprentice for the first time ever? I feel like I get Donald Trump more, actually, after watching it. Yeah. Um, Which is silly to say, because I feel like... I'm sure someone's written a think piece that says... 
if you want to understand Donald Trump, watch The Apprentice. But, you know, that would be a, a correct uh, claim. Because it, it really is... I feel ev everything about Trump's political persona is contained within the show. You have the underlying aesthetic of kitsch. I think at one point you called it capitalist camp. Which, oh, yeah. Which is really... Which was apt. You have... This kind of pointless competitive ethos that's not really directed at anything. There's just this this vacuous concept of winning, but that's not really attached to anything. Although there's some vague idea that it's for charity, but it's that's not really present until the end. Well, there's useful, yeah, but. there's a lot of iconography we hear about, a lot of kind of buzzwords like charity, entrepreneurship. Right. Um, um, well, that's another thing too is um, winners, right. fighters. Oh, and I, I guess just to finish my thought from before, I mean the other thing is. The show, there's a casual misogyny about the show. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, so right at the end, uh, Piers Morgan, like, basically makes a joke, like, in front of the live studio audience to Ivanka Trump about... The final two competitors are Trace Adkins, the country star, and Piers Morgan. Mm -hmm. And it basically comes down to everyone loves Trace Adkins. He's a nice guy. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, Piers Morgan is the shrewder businessman. So Ivanka, who's one of the judges, mm. says, your bedside manner mm. isn't so great. And he said, well, you wouldn't know my bedside manner, would you? <laughs> and she said, well, that, that comes back to your That's lack of... That's an example, of... yeah. Um, but, or, or what was the joke that Trump made in the first episode? Well, well, there was a hot dog selling competition between the men and the women, okay? And uh, one of the men was dating the adult film star Jenna Jameson. Mm -hmm. So she made an appearance. And then there was a conversation between Trump and this guy in the boardroom after. He says, well, J Jenna Jameson is definitely going to get a lot of going to get a lot of attention. Are you going to marry her? Are you going to marry her? Uh, maybe maybe get a maybe get a prenup. <laughs> yeah, so I like that Trump was obviously very familiar with the work of Jenna Jameson. <laughs> I'm sure he was. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so I feel like everything about Trumpism was sort of contained. Uh, also, just the presence of his children for no point, like the, just that they're part of the enterprise, and now they're Donald Jr. is the other judge on yeah, the show. Like just the fact that they're they're in the White House now. Yeah, um, you know they came with them because it's just a big one big family enterprise. Let's talk about maybe some of our favorite Trump moments that we saw on the show. My favorite above all is in the opening credits. Oh. Uh, when there's a shot, there's oh, it's beautiful. There's a shot of just Donald Trump walking on one of his golf courses, and there's like a waterfall, <laughs> and he's wearing this like overcoat. Mm -hmm. uh, just a lot of shots of like, I mean, you all know the Trump aesthetic, yeah. like like the the front of Trump Tower is basically mm -hmm. presented like it's the Taj Mahal. Yeah, every moment of the show, Trump actually I believe owns a casino called the Taj Mahal as oh, well. Okay. Incidentally, but you know, every moment of the show looks like it could be the SNL parody of Trump. It's a lot of it. Yeah, it's very like tim and eric i mean it's, it's well there's really a very kind of like looking and... it has this like kind of plastic sanitized mm. look to it mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. the boardrooms all look like kind of catalog versions of boardrooms well, and, and of course um it, for the final episode you know they start talking in the boardroom and then suddenly the boardroom wall comes up and it turns out they're on a stage Right, I mean, that's, but it still looks like the same board. But it's still the seen. same boardroom because it just looks like yeah, it's been assembled from plastic. It's a cliche to say it's like self-parody, but anytime at the end of any of these episodes when the boardroom is about to meet, everybody mm -hmm. files in in this really dramatic. And there's way. these these great shots of the doors. The opening, door opens and, and Trump then, enters like he's Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah and the, the whole <laughs> I mean, in some way, the whole show is erected around the figure of Trump in a really hilarious way. So it's not enough for him to just brand the show and stick his name everywhere and have his children in it. You know, even in the 
the final episode, it's gotta it's gotta be like, and now the most famous celebrity of them all, <laughs> Donald J. Trump. So this wasn't one of the episodes we saw, but I remember seeing an episode of Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, the season finale of one of the seasons where it opens with Trump on the phone and he's like, yes, Mr. Mayor, thank you. We're doing the season finale of Celebrity Apprentice. I think it's going to be really spectacular. He hangs up the phone without saying goodbye. And then he he gets up from his desk and starts talking to the camera like Jordan Belfort. (laughs) It's like, 12 celebrities, 12 weeks. It all comes down to now. Like as people are people are handing him his like coat yeah. and he walk he comes down the the elevator and he meets i think it's dale Earnhardt, yeah. or if it's not dale Earnhardt, it's some mm-hmm. other famous race car driver how am i gonna get to the national history museum on time dale Earnhardt <laughs> drives up whoa it's dale Earnhardt, <laughs> and he you know drives him through you know central park and then we see him leave the race car and enter the natural history museum where an audience is waiting for him cheering and he's high five and he's walking down the aisles and it's like he's like mafioso jay leno Mm. like shaking hands with everybody but what's funny is like we're supposed to just take it at face value we're Mm. supposed to like admire the splendor of it i built a lot of buildings but i also own golf courses resorts the miss universe pageant the miss usa pageant a model agency i even have a television show the apprentice. Look at that view. Oh my god. This is like rich. Like really, really rich. Look at this. Look at you guys. Come here. When we went up to Donald's apartment, words can't describe how beautiful it was. Everything you saw was breathtaking. And we got to meet his girlfriend, Melania, who is amazing as well. It's not just capitalist kitsch. There's a lot of just kind of Republican conservative kitsch in here, too, because on the last episode, Piers Morgan's charity, of course, is the troops. Yeah, it all comes down to the troops in the end. So and we, there's a great there's a great <laughs> shot of a, of a fluttering American flag with sort of like music that could be could totally have been in one of those conservative, like straight to DVD Michael Moore documentaries that we watched. So we see Piers Morgan, you know, in a pre-recorded segment talking to the wounded troops yeah. some some legless guys right. about their experience and then it cuts back to the set mm-hmm. where it's where it's Piers Morgan yeah. Donald Trump standing up next to all these soldiers right. in their military regalia right and Trump is like uh, I may have financial courage but uh, I don't got your kind of courage that's for sure <laughs> yeah what was Chase Adkins charity it was oh uh, it was like for kids with allergies or something yeah and he did a good job to try to you know, explain why it was more important than the troops. But, well, uh, well, he, he, not he, on this he, he didn't say but... it was more important. <laughs> I, I mean, Trace Atkins basically knew he was beat going in. You, could, I think you could kind of tell, mm. like part of him thought, oh God, why didn't I pick the troops? Mm-hmm. This is my thing. Mm-hmm. We saw a few episodes. We can talk a little bit about some of the, the, the machinations, some of the feuds, some of the dynamics. Well, okay, here's just, just as a general comment, one of the things that I like is that uh, the show professes to be, you know, it's Donald Trump who's the arch-capitalist. And, you know, all the celebrities and Trump himself keep dishing out these pearls of wisdom about how capitalism works and how competition works. And you got to be a fighter. Yeah, and they're just all these, like, phony revelations of, like, you know, we can talk about who's a nice guy and who's not a nice guy, but in business it comes down to the bottom line and stuff like that. So it's just all these fake 
or, or um, what's the thing they keep saying over and over again in the first one? It's like, celebrity is a commodity. And everybody keeps saying yeah. that as if it's some profound revelation. And what I like is that the show kind of inadvertently can be taken as like a meta commentary on how, <laughs> like, how empty and kind of arbitrary capitalism is. Like, you have this room full of people where, honestly, if, like, there was a drone strike on the building, I think we'd all be better for it. <laughs> just the worst people. Just a bunch of talentless fools and yeah. B-grade celebrities who... Uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't survive in a society that had better morals but and that was less debased <laughs> than ours but um yeah like they just like like what the hell what the hell are they, do do any of these things I got, mean and how do you yeah. it's just you got you got to be a fighter you got to you got to never you got to never stop you got to you got to know how to be creative but but be competitive at the same time i like, got to tell you even though all these celebrities are mostly just useless i did mm. feel bad for them i mean there's there's nothing. Well, it's actually, more, there's it's nothing actually, more degrading than having to like grovel to Donald. You have to Trump. like genuflect to Donald Trump Jr. Like. Yeah, <laughs> and and you you see these people like in the boardroom mm. trying to be political, trying to be catty, yeah. trying to right. stay on the show while mm. Donald Trump lords over them yeah. like he's any better than them. That's right, and and I mean it's <laughs> if you are on celebrity, I mean I guess. Piers Morgan is probably the only person on this who's gotten more famous since this, right? I mean, yeah, I think so. Everyone else, like. You know, Stephen Baldwin, someone like that, would not go on a show like this if their career was in good shape, mm -hmm. you know? Like, rea I think reality shows, celebrity reality shows are kind of the the secret elephant, well, the not-so-secret elephant graveyard for, you know, B-celebrities whose careers are on the wane. Gene Simmons, I thought, was a strange addition to the show because I thought that, without a doubt, at this moment in history, he was the biggest star. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think he was the only one who didn't need this. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why was he there? I mean, he's, he's, I don't, I mean, I don't. He, it's not like he's at the top of his career or no, anything. No, but, he, but... but he's somebody who, I mean, he has his own reality show. He obviously gets off on that sort of reality show kitsch and like. He's very wealthy. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe he just, maybe he just thinks, you know, I got a brand to maintain. I got to be out on TV. Yeah, I guess uh, so. I remember that when this season was being marketed, the marketing was very heavy on Gene Simmons. Mm -hmm. I think the central flaw of the Celebrity Apprentice as, you know, a piece of entertainment uh, is, is just the fact that there's not a lot of suspense there because I know going in, the biggest stars are going to stay. Like, if it's just a regular season of The Apprentice with, reg mm. with regular people, it's anybody's game. But, okay, so the first episode, you got this hot dog selling contest between mm. the men and the women. The mm. men win, basically because they got their famous friends on the they phone. They use celebrity, whereas yeah. the women try to, like, play by the rules they have a very like ambitious leader. Yeah, Am Amarosa, who right. you weren't familiar with, but it was a, I gather a creation of earlier an earlier season. Amarosa was and now works in the yeah, White House. Yeah, she was on the first <laughs> season of The Apprentice, and she was kind of the villain. And right. she, I think, she became second place. Right, known as a very kind of cutthroat character. Um, so she led the team, and she, yeah, she she said we're gonna sell it on you know the quality of the product basically, whereas. The men got their famous friends on the phone and said, buy a $1,000 hot dog from right, us. Right, right. So Omarosa was the one who led this failed strategy. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, he's not going to fire Omarosa because no. she's one of the more famous ones and because he knows she's going to cause drama. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you can even see Trump setting up drama. He's like, hey, Omarosa, what do you think of Piers Morgan? Mm -hmm. And she says, well, you know, I don't think people in America know who Piers Morgan is. So he's trying to set up this, yeah. this feud that will pay off later. That it, itself, I think, is also, I mean, not to be too heavy handed about this, but also is like inadvertently a meta commentary on how arbitrary capitalist competition <laughs> like is because it's because you know on the face of it it's supposed to be about you know who raises the most money and whatever but it, it's tv it's entertainment yeah. so it's garbage it has to be 
theatrical. And so, you know, the the decisions about who gets kicked off aren't just about the bottom line. And, not, and it's not a meritocracy. No, it's not like, a meritocracy yeah. at all. It's, it's like, uh, just as like, you know, capitalism is largely about kind of like a rentier class, like exploiting people mm. in this, in, in this, the rentiers are just people's level of celebrity and the, and the amount of kind of theatrical entertainment they can generate, you know? So uh, somebody had to get fired from the woman's team and the one he fired inevitably was the least famous one. It was this playmate of the month. Mm. Um, and it was he, also kind of the quietest one and didn't really have any entertainment value. She didn't do anything. Exactly. And he and the grounds that he fired her on, which I think were pretty tenuous mm-hmm. grounds, were you should have called up Hugh Hefner on the phone. Mm-hmm. He's a friend of mine. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Hugh Hefner. He would have done it you mm-hmm. know, and asked him for a big donation. And I think that's an unreasonable thing to have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So anyway, Omarosa, the obvious one to fire, but he didn't. Right. You know, it occurred to me when we were watching this that... Uh, Trump is really no different in this that, I mean, the only difference between this and his presidential run, uh, what, I mean, I think, I guess there was one or two moments of sort of soft xenophobia in this, but I mean, he just, he, he, no more xenophobic than any kind of businessman would be. Like there was, there was one point when they have to do a commercial for a dog food company and there's There's someone with an East European accent. And he, and he said, you know, all due respect, probably not going to use your voice. Maybe if we go international, he says, um, but I mean, basically, his persona is is the same. Yeah, you know, um, and I think it's I think it's interesting if you kind of go back through the history of Donald Trump. Um, he's he's actually kind of always been the same. I mm. mean, he's he's somebody who uh, you know was created through TV, but his politics have always been a lot more consistent than people you know are willing to admit. And um, one thing uh, I recall in particular was an interview he did, I think, in the '80s with Oprah. You've said, though, that if you did run for president, you believe you'd win. Well, I don't know. I think I'd win. I tell you what, I wouldn't go in to lose. I've never gone in to lose in my <laughs> life. And, and if I did decide to do it, I think I'd be inclined. I, w- I would say that I would have a hell of a chance of winning because I think people, I don't know how your audience feels, but I think people are tired of seeing the United States ripped off. And I can't promise you everything, but I can tell you one thing. This country would make one hell of a lot of money from those people that for 25 years have taken advantage. It wouldn't be the way it's been, believe me. So in this interview from with Oprah, which is from the late 80s or the early 90s, you see basically a sketch of most of what Donald Trump's presidential campaign would be. You have this kind of right-wing sort of economic nationalism, all this talk about outsourcing and, and you know, how we have to stop our jobs being shipped overseas. You have, you know, this kind of just vacuous ethos of winning. He says, you know, I'm going to, when I do it, I'm going to be in it to win it and this kind of thing. Uh, and then, you know, later, I guess it was maybe the following year, a few years later, he added the racist element with his comments about the, uh, what what was the case in New York where those oh, men the, were Oh, the Central Park and, Five. And then yeah. he just said they were guilty anyway uh, because they were black, basically. Well, the, the whole thing was uh, when they were arrested for uh, the charge being that they raped a woman in a mm-hmm. park, he did a, an editorial in one of the newspapers saying we should bring back the death penalty. Right. And then when they were exonerated, he, of course, didn't want to right. admit he was wrong. Right. And the other thing that's striking about this interview, I think, is that it's it's happening on Oprah Winfrey, right? Mm. So it's the ha- next president. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is something that I think is also really important to understand about Trump. I, I feel like at, when I was growing up, if I was asked to come up with like, what is like the scariest, you know, right wing Republican presidential candidate looked like, 
it would have been something more like the, you know, the slack jawed caricatures of like a Unite Blue, like group DM or something, you know, it would have been a figure like one of the people, you know, that we saw in an American Carol or something mm -hmm. like that. And instead you have Donald Trump, who is much more a product of sort of a liberal milieu than people are willing to admit. And I mean, somebody that you know, the Clintons were very friendly with, you know, a product of, you know, East Coast, you know, New York network television. And there was a really good comment on this by a writer that I'm, I'm not really familiar with, Jim Lewis. Uh, this is almost exactly a year old. This is March, late March 2016. Uh, this was a, a, an opinion piece published in The Intercept, mm -hmm. interestingly, and it's called The Culture That Created Donald Trump Was Liberal, Not Conservative. And I'll just read a bit of it. I think it's uh, highly relevant to a discussion of The Apprentice. Uh, especially thinking about it in relation to Donald Trump's wider career. So Lewis writes, who created Donald Trump? Now that Donald Trump, the candidate, has become both widely popular and deeply loathsome, we're seeing a cataract of editorials and commentary aimed at explaining how it happened and who's to blame. The predictable suspects are trotted out. The Republican Party, which has been too opportunistic and fearful to stand up to its own candidate. Fox News, which inflamed the jingos and white working class voters, unhinged by class envy and racial resentment. The predictable bewilderment and outrage are professed, but absent from all these ashen-faced accounts is any examination of the people who put Trump in a position to run for president in the first place. The man didn't emerge all at once and fully formed from some hidden and benighted hollow in the American psyche. He's been kicking around for 30 years or more, and he was promoted and schooled, made famous and made wealthy by the same culture and economy that now reviles him and finds his success so vexing. After all, it wasn't some clan newsletter that first brought Trump to our attention. It was Time and Esquire and Spy. The Westboro Baptist Church didn't give him his own TV show. NBC did. And his boasts and lies weren't posted on Breitbart. They were published by Random House. He was created by people who learned from Andy Warhol, not Jerry Falwell, who knew him from galas at the Met, not fundraisers at Carl Rove's house. Hmm. And his original audience was presented to him by uh, Condé Nast, not Guns and Ammo. He owes his celebrity, uh, his money, his arrogance, and his skill at drawing attention to these coastal cultural gatekeepers, presumably mostly liberal, who first elevated him out of general obscurity, making him famous and rewarding him, and not at all incidentally themselves, for his idiocies. There's just a bit more. Sure, he was a nasty man and a blowhard even then, a rich clown playing the media for publicity, a quintessential type, the eternal hustler, too nasty and vulgar to be entirely respectable, but too successful to be ignored. We've seen thousands like him and we'll see thousands more, but he built a bunch of buildings and real estate is to Manhattan what oil is to Texas, a toxic and destabilizing commodity and a universal excuse for almost any bad behavior. So he wasn't a liberal man, but he'd spent his life surrounded by them. How bad could he be? I mean, that's fine, but I think we all know The Intercept is just the left-wing version of Infowars. So. <laughs> that's right, and it's funded by Russia, yeah. like fully. My name's Donald Trump, and I'm the largest real estate developer in New York. I own buildings all over the place, model agencies, the Miss Universe pageant, jet liners, golf courses, casinos, and private resorts like Mar-a-Lago, one of the most spectacular states anywhere in the world. But it wasn't always so easy. About 13 years ago, I was seriously in trouble. I was billions of dollars in debt. But I fought back and I won, big league. I used my brain, I used my negotiating skills, and I worked it all out. Now my company's bigger than it ever was, it's stronger than it ever was. 
and I'm having more fun than I ever had. Oh, speaking of uh, Manhattan politics, my actual favorite part of the episodes we watched was when Michael Bloomberg came to judge the hot dog contest. Oh my Did you God. Remember, you remember that? Yeah, I mean, okay, like, just as a broader comment on the show, divorced from Trump, I mean, it really does speak to just the terrifying, vulgar gravity of network television oh, yeah. under, you know, late capitalism or whatever. The fact that probably one of the most important, like, city leaders in the world... Mm a leading business mogul and, you know, like literally the mayor of New York City is coming down to the street, you to, know, to have along, Stephen Baldwin hand Stephen him a Baldwin and Jenna Jameson. <laughs> and then he made, do you remember he tried the hot dog from the woman's stand and he was like, I can't tell you if uh, the men's hot dog is better because I haven't tried it yet, but you all look better. I'll tell you that much. You know, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to go like all ad busters on this, but you know, I'm going, I mean, it's like, a culture that first elevates these like people like Piers Morgan, like a culture mm. in which Piers Morgan or Donald Trump can be famous, yeah. and then a culture which where like the mayor of a city is coming, to, you know, and ostensibly yeah. a democratic leader is coming, you know, is on the show. It, it's like a sick one. Something's wrong. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I was very wrong. Like I, re it was great watching uh, Piers Morgan's early work on this show. Uh, there's that fight he gets with Amarosa early mm. in the run where where she corrects him on the pronunciation of her name. And he says, well, you know, I, I, I've never heard of you. I guess you're a celebrity. And mm. then she says to him, yeah, well, nobody knows who you are in America. Mm. And he like pouts at her. Yeah, he doesn't like, like it. Well, whatever, whatever. I've got, <laughs> I, I'm on the number one show in America. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just classic, you know, dishing it out, but can't take it. <laughs> Piers Morgan. P Piers Morgan is an example of, um, of how like rubbish Americans are in the face <laughs> of a British accent. We're now seeing the same thing with Louise Mensch. Oh, yeah. Who, who, you know, who has a British accent and, you know, gets bylines in New York Times to spout, like, unhinged conspiracy theories and, <laughs> and tweet that, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin was behind both the Donald Trump and the Bernie Sanders campaigns and be given major, being a given major platform. Without an accent, I swear to God, not possible, and neither would Piers Morgan. I think if you've been on a reality show selling hot dogs alongside Stephen, Stephen Baldwin, Baldwin. That, that disqualifies you from ever being taken seriously again. <laughs> Piers Morgan and, and, and Baldwin had a nice moment in the car. Do you remember that? Oh, where, God, they, yeah. Yeah. Where, they made, where they made up from the, the slights that Piers Morgan. I, I love how Piers Morgan is positioned on this show as being the guy with the deepest Rolodex. Like, we see him on the phone with all... Oh my god, this is a great moment. He's on the phone with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay. Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. Lord Webber. Andrew Lloyd, Lloyd yeah. Webber, as the, as the caption tells us. And Andrew Lloyd Webber... So he's on the phone with him, and it cuts to Andrew Lloyd Webber in the studio he's, he's, on camera, yeah. and he's and he's and he's, and he's like, "Hi, uh, it's yes, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yes, I'm here at the famous Abbey Road Studios. I'm busy recording tracks for the sequel to Phantom. <laughs> I think I think it's going to be quite good. And then it, it cuts back to Piers Morgan, and he's like, "Well, I'm sure that's going to be the hottest ticket in town." And then behind behind Andrew Lloyd Webber, there's like an actual Phantom mask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It reminded me of um, that episode of Extras when, <laughs> yeah. who's the guy from Coldplay who comes? Chris Martin. Yeah, yeah. where it's like, I was just busy laying down some hot new tracks from... <laughs> Oh, oh man. man yeah but but you know you mentioned that you get donald trump more after watching this mm -hmm. and like i think donald trump is pretty good on this show like mm -hmm. within the context of this show like he's charismatic he, he's good at tv yeah. he really gives the impression of simultaneously being somebody who's totally in control totally the boss but mm -hmm. also somebody who speaks the language of us and he's got and he's got a he has a no-nonsense quality and to he has him. this quality of like tough love when he deals with the celebrities like 
you know, I admire you, you're a winner, but you're fired. You know, yeah. like he, he does, that's his kind of, his attitude. He'll do the opposite because he's the most independent thinker there is. He's like this great genius marketer. He's a friend of mine, but he wants to show me how independent. So if I say do this, he's going to do the opposite. I disagree. You know I'm you a fan of yours. Wait a minute. I know you disagree. You disagree with everything. Well, I can tell you, you why. You always disagree. I can tell you You why. think I'm a pretty smart guy, I hope, right? Actually, about as smart as they come. Okay. Why did you bring back two people that I can't fire? I can't fire them. Amorosa did nothing wrong, and I think you'd probably agree with that. Jenny really did nothing wrong. She didn't deserve to be here. I have no choice. You know that. Gene... You're fired. I respect your decision. I don't know why you did this. I had no choice. Thank you. So long. Are there any cases of like Donald Trump? Do, like, do, like, was he groping any of these people on the show behind? I, I think I remember like there being some sort of like harassment allegation, like in the last few weeks. I feel like saying Donald like Trump that. has harassed so many women. It's hard to keep. Tra- do you remember the? Was it like? Three weeks out from election day where, like, there was just, like, three or four days of, every, like, every oh, few yeah. hours there was a new thing. Yeah, yeah. That was around the time of the grabber by the pussy. Right, thing. and, and yeah. I, like, I just want to, I just want to stress, like, I think this point about Trump coming from a liberal milieu is really important when you consider how, how offended people like the Clintons now pretend <laughs> to be about Donald Trump, mm. you know, like... People knew Donald Trump was an absolute piece of shit. Presumably his like, you know, groping and sexual assault stuff was like kind of an open secret in certain circles. I think it was probably of, just the culture of that kind of Wall Street a, a lot of the, boys club. A lot of the, you know? a lot of the clips that came up that it that, that indicted him during the election, like him talking about young Paris Hilton in this like really inappropriate yeah. way, those were just old clips that were already on network TV. As late as 2012, Bill Clinton was saying, you know, I love playing golf with Donald Trump. You know, Bill and Hillary went to Trump's wedding. Yeah. You know, like like it's I think it's I think Trump is an obviously he's an indictment of like the American right and that's yeah. who he's, he's emerged as their tribune but the fact that the titans of liberal america and like all of their kind of mechanisms for boosting people and giving people you know a profile and giving them celebrities and giving them wealth not only tolerated him but were just happy to boost him and that people obviously you know liked Mm -hmm. him it's an indictment of liberal america Mm -hmm. as well donald trump is just an indictment of america oh you know you should look up there's a really uh funny deleted scene from wall street money never sleeps that this being the the uh, atrocious sequel where uh Michael Douglas as Gordon Gecko is getting a haircut and who walks into the barbershop? It's Donald Trump. And he oh, goes, who, is that the famous Gordon Gecko? <laughs> hey, Ge- hey, Gordon, how are things doing? Things have really changed on the street. <laughs> hey, is this the one and only Gordon Gecko? Hey, Donald, what are you talking about? You're the one and only. So now I've got competition. It's a great place to get a haircut. I love this place. I've been coming here since the 80s. Well, the 80s are no longer, Gordo. The world is a tough place. How's life, Gordo? Life is fine, especially with a hot new hedge fund. Uh, enjoying my exile here in London. Hot new hedge fund? Are you kidding? The economy's terrible. But you know what? Send me the details. Has anyone ever told you that you'd look great, really great, in a comb over? Oh my God, and okay, and just, you know, as a I guess rejoinder to everything I just said, I mean, this show, it really is a pitiable spectacle. Just like the pitiable spectacle of Donald Trump 
failing to get a bill, Donald Trump and Paul Ryan failing to get a healthcare bill passed. Um, yeah. But, you know, as pathetic as that is, we have to keep reminding ourselves the Democrats lost to this. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. let's just never lose sight of that. The Democrats lost to this. It was funny <laughs> watching this show just in light of the last few disastrous weeks mm. of Trump, you know. I, I, I mean, his administration, I mean, for a guy that's obsessed with TV ratings and things like that, I mean, people have got to be telling him, Mr. President, you have like the lowest poll numbers of any president yeah. in the history of Gallup polling. You but, know. but you know, we see him on this show being like, if you want to succeed in business, you got to be fierce. Right. You got to outsmart your opponents. Mm. And you know, this is a guy who mm. like can't even get Obamacare repealed in an all Republican Senate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think the the most terrifying prospect for me of a Trump president, like I feel like we, we've now, we've, we've gone past, gotten past the initial shock of the trump presidency um and i mean there, we still have the same kind of daily outrages when he goes on ridiculous like twitter tangents mm-hmm. or whatever oh yeah he blocked me on twitter by the way uh, he blocked sure. you on twitter years ago in this, 2013 yeah, i'm not yeah. sure if you people know that i'm blocked by luke, the celebrity the pre- apprentice host he, on twitter luke is one of the co- one of the hosts of this podcast has been blocked by the president of the united states oh right he's also the president yeah. um so we've settled into this kind of normalcy that's punctuated just by the usual daily outrage and i suppose the familiar, you know, barrage of like annoying blue checkmark people just replying to every Donald Trump being like, have you no decency, sir? Uh, or whatever. That's still going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I feel like, you know, this narrative, not for no reason, has kind of crept up that he's, you know, weak and ineffectual. But um, Donald Trump has the authority to send the largest military in human history to war on sort of two minutes notice. Mm-hmm. Right. And if there's, if he is given a pretext, if there's like um, an attack in the United States that is the scale even of the London attack a few weeks ago, I mean, I'm, I'm terrified about what he could do. I mean, is it, is it uh, Wag the Dog, that movie that's yeah. about, that's about like a president whose poll numbers are failing. So he essentially stages a war. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, Donald Trump wouldn't stage it. He would just do it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's a genuinely scary thing. Well, I don't know if there's if there's one thing that's given me optimism about the Trump presidency so far, it's just like it proves that actions have consequences. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you threaten to take away 25 million people's health care, mm-hmm. like they will revolt and yeah. it will end up failing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you hollow out the Midwest, yeah. if you crush all the unions, it will eventually, mm-hmm. you know, bite you. you in the ass. Yeah. I mean, I just... if you spend, you know. <laughs> It's six years being in a kind of a nihilistic obstructionist government, mm. it, it, like it's going to lead you nowhere. Yeah, I mean, of course, the real reason they couldn't repeal the health care bill is because the health care on the books is already a Republican bill, because that's what <laughs> yeah. I mean. OK, you know, sure, the, the Democrats got a health care bill passed when they had control of the House and the Senate, but they, they could only get a Republican bill. It kept seeing this meme this week, which drove me crazy which was like it was it was like one of those occupy democrats memes mm-hmm. which are basically the worst things on the internet if not just the worst things anywhere um and it was it was hillary clinton and barack obama laughing and it was like you know Haha, and they had control of the house and the senate and yeah. they couldn't get and it's like okay well first of all you lost to these people so <laughs> yeah. shut shut the fuck up <laughs> secondly you had control of the house and the senate and all you could pass was mitt romney's health care bill mm. like if mitt romney had like uh or like John McCain or Mitt Romney, like won, you know, the 20, 2008 election. It's not unthinkable that they would have passed like a similar bill. Yeah. So come on. Mm-hmm. A little humility, please, from the Unite Blue crowd. I think that about covers it for this week, unless you have anything else to add. <laughs> no, I don't have, but... <laughs> we could talk about Donald Trump forever. But I, I do think we've got a, 
We've got an exciting couple weeks coming up. We have uh, we're gonna have a fun guest uh, coming up, and we're gonna talk about uh, why don't we just say we're gonna talk about Borat, guys. Yeah. We're gonna talk about Borat, so uh, that's that's gonna be fun. And then um, I don't know if our American listeners are aware of this. But we're actually in Canada. Um, you know, we're we're here in Toronto mm-hmm. right now, and uh, we've been talking about doing some Canadian content for a while. Um, and and this is actually this year is actually the 150th birthday of our great country. And uh, so we're, we've been talking about doing uh, some kind of Canada spectacular. Mm-hmm. So for our Canadian listeners, this will be a fun run through of all the things that make Canada great um, and keep it great. I don't know. Donuts, Luke and I were listening hockey, to some. Uh, Luke and I were listening to Moxie Fruvis earlier mm-hmm. tonight. We listened to My Baby Loves a Bunch of Authors, mm-hmm. which has been stuck in my Classic head. Classic Canadiana. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, and we think it's going to kind of be a monster episode because it's. Canada 150 and our country deserves the best. So that's going to that's going to come up. Um and so I guess until next time. But until next week, Luke, you you're a winner, you're a fighter. I have nothing but respect for you, but you're fired. Now watch this drive. Here to sing the theme from Green Acres, please welcome Donald Trump and Will and Grace's Karen Walker. to be farm living is the life for me land spreading out so far and wide keep Manhattan just give me that countryside commercial for coke or pepsi or something that was like a batman commercial where he takes like the batmobile to get oh well that's the yeah that's the famous one where it's attached to the 1989 movie where it's alfred's on the phone he's like hello gotham corner store we seem to be down to our last diet coke a gentleman is on his way just look for the black car no, this black car will be very hard to miss. And it keeps cutting <laughs> cutting back to... Well, and what's funny about that commercial is Alfred basically gave away Batman's identity just <laughs> just to get a crate of Diet Coke. <laughs> um, anyway, like, that's the level of, of, of kitsch and, like, just sheer garbage that this show is pitched at.